Hello, folks. Pull up a chair and join us on this adventure we call the Good Judgment Podcast. The episode notes for this incredibly entertaining and informative episode that you are about to consume are available at goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. You know, a while back, we recorded two episodes dealing with Jackson v. Deno hearings and custodial statements in, in general, Tane. Oh, yeah. Episodes 47 and 48. I remember them like they were recorded yesterday. <laughs> yeah. In <laughs> one section, I'm I'm going to make a confession. I might have sounded, a, I don't know, a little salty because... <laughs> We had discussed a case where I had been reversed. You, Wade, salty, never. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you were chapped. I can I remember that like it was yesterday. Yeah, I, it dealt with an issue involving a custodial statement taken from a minor and whether the Riley rule remained viable as a separate standard for evaluating whether a custodial statement was admissible and whether the person in custody was a minor and whether that Riley rule was controlled over all the other Miranda law. Oh, yeah. I remember Tanksley versus State. Wade was overturned on appeal. Oh, I think I got that one. Exactly. But, you know, fortunately, that's a pretty rare occurrence, kind of like, you know, Haley's Comet. Anyway, <laughs> has something changed in that case law, Wade? I'm glad you asked, Tane. Yes, it has. <laughs> And okay. January 2023 decision was sound, was uh, handed down by the Supreme Court of Georgia. And frankly, it has changed the landscape of the law dealing with custodial statements from minors. And that's our topic for today, Tane. That's coincidental, huh? Custodial statements from minors. Are we doing this whole podcast so you can say you were right? No, no. <laughs> Let's leave that for others to determine, Tane. But maybe. <laughs> Look, before we start discussing the latest case, let's review what the law has been relating to custodial statements from minors. In a custodial statement that is challenged, the trial court is required to make a finding that the statement is freely and voluntarily made, usually in the context of a hearing commonly referred to as a Jackson versus Deno hearing. That's true regardless of age of the defendant. Right. And under Miranda and other cases dealing with custodial statements, the trial court is required to make a very specific finding. The court would usually say something like, I find from a preponderance of the evidence that the defendant was advised of each of his Miranda rights that he understood them, that he voluntarily waived them, and that he thereafter gave his statement freely and voluntarily without any hope of benefit or fear of injury. And then if there was some question about Miranda rights not being read or read, you can make those findings. But that's suggested, and I, when I say suggested, I'm using air quotes, Tane. I don't know how to make the air quotes sound in a podcast. Yeah, I know. Maybe we could get some little, like, like <laughs> magical thing. Yeah, that's choo-choo. Oh, like, like, that. lo, like little lasers. Yeah, like choo-choo. The suggested finding <laughs> that was not really suggested. Choo-choo. It was strongly encouraged by our appellate courts and uh-huh. specifically set out in our trial notebook that we supply to every new Superior Court judge in Georgia and NJO. Because we're like that. Those findings were generally required for a custodial statement to be admitted in trial, regardless of the age of the defendant. However, when the person making the statement is a minor, a body of law that began with the decision in Riley versus State suggested that there was very specific findings that had to be made. And what became known as the Riley factors wasn't that a TV show? By I think the, it was. I think that's the O'Reilly factor. Oh, okay, yeah. The fact I don't know. I don't know. It, the Riley Eight factors. There were nine specific findings that had to be analyzed 
when the person making the statement was a minor. Now I'm going to go through these nine. You know they're on they're on our uh, outline, so you don't need to write them down while you're trying to run on the treadmill or ride your bike or whatever. Right. These are one age of the accused, two education of the accused, three knowledge of the accused as to both the substance of the charge and the nature of his rights to consult with an attorney and remain silent. Four, whether the accused is held incommunicado or allowed to consult with relatives, friends, and or an attorney. Five, whether the accused was interrogated before or after formal charges have been filed. Six, the methods used in interrogation. Seven, the length of interrogation. And eight, whether Velnon, the accused refused to voluntarily give statements on prior occasions. And then finally, number nine, whether the accused has repudiated the extrajudicial statement at a later date. Prior to Riley, the Georgia case law was all kind of all over the place concerning custodial statements by minors, including some court of appeals decisions that automatically excluded all custodial statements made by minors. They just said it couldn't be admitted. Yeah. The Riley court adopted some law that at that time was from the Fifth Circuit, which we were part of the Fifth Circuit way back in the day, Mm -hmm. in establishing those nine Riley factors. So it appeared to the justices on the Georgia Supreme Court that they began to sort of tip their hand that they were having serious concerns about the continued validity of Riley when they decided a case called State versus Burton in 2022. Yeah. And the sites are all, all out there. As our uh, friend of the podcast, Ben Studdard, noted in a recent publication, in the Burton decision, six of the nine justices either concurred or dissented, and those opinions suggested that those justices thought that Riley should be overruled. Finally, in Clark versus State, an opinion issued in January of 2023, Riley was finally officially overturned. But kind of. Yeah. Stay with us. We're going to land this plane, and I promise it's going to make sense. Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification. Folks, this is Wade and Tane. You're listening to the Good Judgment Podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast, and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcast platform and tell your friends it's how we get to grow our listenership thanks and now back to our studio audience the whole exercise in determining whether any custodial statement is admissible is an analysis of the totality of the circumstances surrounding the making of the statement to somehow limit or expand the factors that make up the totality of the circumstances when dealing with a juvenile defendant seemed a bit nonsensical. Yeah, this total, this totality of the circumstances approach is adequate to determine whether there's been a waiver or, or even where the interrogation of juveniles is involved. In other words, it's good enough for everybody else. Why do we have to have a whole separate thing? So, Why was Riley overturned by the Clark case? So in all candor, Riley was overturned, but the principles behind the decision of Riley were reaffirmed. Bear with us. 
let, let's explain. Yeah, I was Maybe. about to make that Scooby Doo sound. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm going to need so many more sounds on my little cards over here. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it is best to quote a paragraph from Clark to begin this explanation. Let's do that. Because the totality of the circumstances test set forth in Riley and its progeny is consistent with United States Supreme Court precedent, we, we reaffirm that test today. But as discussed more below, language in Riley and many of the cases that followed it also suggested that assessing the totality of the circumstances required applying a specific nine-factor framework because requiring application of a fixed set of factors is inherently in tension, in tension with the totality of the circumstances test, we disapprove any such language. In other words, basically, they're, they're pulling the nine factors test out and saying totality of the circumstances is going to be the overarching standard. And those nine might be a part of that. Right. That's very possible. Right. But it's not a rigid standard that needs to be applied and is exclusive and exhaustive and so forth. So the cases that followed Riley had suggested that those nine factors listed in Riley were a rigid, were a rigid standard, and some decisions suggested that the Riley factors were really the only factors to be considered when the person making the custodial statement was a minor. So the Georgia Supreme Court held that any rule that limited or expanded the totality of the circumstances to any nine specific factors is really not a totality of the circumstances analysis. And that's kind of true there. Yeah. So the Clark court concluded by saying, moreover, we make clear that Georgia trial courts should no longer Reading look to law during a podcast is not awesome. So let me read that again. Moreover, we make clear that the Georgia trial court should no longer look to that Riley framework for determining under the totality of the circumstances, whether a juvenile knowingly and voluntarily waived his rights under Miranda. Rather, as we have explained above, the totality of the circumstances test requires trial courts to consider all of the relevant circumstances surrounding a juvenile's interview with law enforcement officials to determine whether the state has met its burden of showing that the juvenile knowingly and voluntarily waived his rights. Stated another way, Tane, the trial court must look at, must look at the totality of all of the circumstances, everything, not just the nine factors that make up Riley. That means that the age of the defendant is relevant. So is the defendant's level of education. And everything else included in the old Riley standards are all relevant. But they are no longer exclusive, Tane, and they're not the only things to be considered when deciding whether a custodial statement is admissible. So it's one of the old, uh, including but not limited to... Yeah, the uh, non-exhaustive list. Exactly. So there is, one more success, there is one more section of the Clark decision that bears some discussion. After discussing all of the factors surrounding the making of the custodial statement by the juvenile defendant, the court noted... Although the trial court did not expressly acknowledge other factors that may have been pertinent in analyzing the totality of the circumstances, we generally do not require trial courts to make specific on-the-record findings about each aspect of the totality of the circumstances they evaluate or to make, quote, explicit factual findings or credibility determinations on the record. When we began this episode, Tame, we talked about the specific findings of fact that are and I, here is my suggested by our appellate courts when making a determination that a custodial statement was admissible. 
those suggested findings are somewhat conclusory. You're not you're not going through the facts that you use to reach those conclusions. Right. The Clark decision reaffirms that the trial court does not have to make specific findings about the totality of the circumstances, only that all of the circumstances were considered. And again, you know, when you're doing one of those orders, whether it's orally in court or whether you're writing it, it might be good to just throw out the phrase totality of the circumstances to show that you know what the new case law says. And the record itself is going to show what the circumstances were that you considered. So exactly. Tane, when you handled um, motion, some sort of Jackson versus Deno hearing, the, did you, did you find yourself having people list off factors? Like, did they try to like rip off like, well, look at his age. His age is this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. It was, it was wrote. It was very formulaic. Yeah. Right. They were. They were. They were going down the list and just checking all of those boxes. And and I'll be honest with you, because of the way the case law was at that time, I would do the same. I would go through those factors and say the age was this, the level of education was this, you know. Or sometimes you didn't know those things because they weren't they didn't weren't gone over in the statement. And so you would say, well, this How old was he? The, the, yeah, this individual presented themselves in a way that indicated. They at least had an educational level sufficient to, you know, make this determination or something. Although this isn't in our um, outline, there is there are times when people used to, especially under Riley, suggest that you had to use a juvenile waiver of rights form when dealing with someone who was 17, 18, 16, 19, you know, and how much their mental age was, and therefore you should have used the juvenile. That's not the that's not the case. No. But you have to make a totality of circumstances uh, determination. Right. Is it helpful? Sure, because it is probably phrased more basically than the the one that most law enforcement officers like say in their sleep. Right, and and I'm just going to tell you that I always thought. We should have used the juvenile waiver form <laughs> for everybody, for everybody yeah, because be it made a, made a whole lot more sense. So that's all for our episode dealing with custodial statements of minors. Or as I like to call it, the uh, I told you so Wade Paget episode. <laughs> not true. <laughs> not true. Um, while my esteemed brethren and sistren on the Court of Appeals made the right decision, I'm positive I was wrong. Is that enough? Yeah, that's, I think that's good enough. You don't mean it. It's not sincere, but go ahead. Stop it. <laughs> While Riley was overturned by Clark, the nine Riley factors are not irrelevant. They're just not the sole factor. Exactly. Uh, so those nine factors, you know, again, are still things that should be considered as part of the overall determination of the totality of the circumstances, along with anything else that might be relevant. But your order doesn't have to recite all of those factors you considered when you are ruling on the admissibility of a custodial statement. Remember, it's just going to be helpful to use the phrase totality of the circumstances. The outline that's full, chock full of chock citations full. and uh, case line case law, and that outline can be found at goodjudgepod.com. And also be sure to reach out to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com with all of your podcast topic ideas. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. You know, the boy band NSYNC has a very unique name. They came up with the name as an amalgamation of the last letter of each of the five members' first names. Justin N, Chris S, Joey Y, Jason N, and JC in sync. You know, I hope that people who listen to these crazy music trivia things we do at the end of each episode, uh, 
I hope they actually listen. I, I, I hope they actually listen, but I hope they're entertained, Bob, because it takes a lot of time. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. We try our best to give you actionable information, but in a format that does not make you want to hurt yourself. Two thoughts. Some topics allow us the latitude to be a little bit more fun. Number two, if we've failed you, we will try to do our best to do better in the next episode. We know that you have lots of choices and we're honored that you chose us this time. We're kind of amazed to be totally honest. This podcast began as a project that was initially the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the former director, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law, my new part-time employer. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. But hey, nobody can get it all. Thanks to our unsung hero, Kevin Holder. You are instrumental in our podcast being published and made available to the public. We should have been singing your praises all along, but we didn't, so... Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges all across Georgia. Wade and I are also grateful to the State Justice Institute who allow us to do this through their generosity. You know that these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, SJI, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise. Contact someone else with your complaints. But seriously, we would love your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Please visit our website, goodjudgepod.com, for all our episode outlines and more details about our podcasts. Some of you send emails asking for copies of the outlines. Seriously, people, they're available 24-7, 365 at the website, goodjudgepod.com. And we say that like 20 times during every broadcast. But seriously, you can upload or download or otherwise use them as you wish and on your schedule and at your convenience. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And as always, I'm Tane Kell. 